0: Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this
1: is Victoria Meyer. Welcome to The Chemical Show today i am speaking with melissa Hoxted, who is ceo of the american cleaning institute melissa joined aci in 2017 as president and ceo and has guided the organization through some really unique times and is helping it and its constituent companies make a significant impact this is actually melissa's second time on the podcast so she was actually our second guest when the podcast launched in 2021 If you haven't listened to that episode, I recommend that you go back and do so because that was a great episode. And I'm looking forward to this conversation again today. So Melissa, welcome to The Chemical Show.
2: Well, thank you. Glad to be back and looking forward. I mean, it's been a year, so a lot has happened since then.
1: It has. So let's talk about that. So, you know, it's been a full year since we talked. A, A lot in the world has changed and my gosh, it feels like some things have not. But you guys just wrapped up your, the ACI annual meeting which was held in person for the first time in 2 years that's exciting how did that go what tell us about the conference and kind of just significant things that happened as a result of that
2: yeah so it was wonderful i mean as you might imagine over the last year talking with members there's this pent up demand and interest in getting back together in person and nothing replicates seeing one another in person so at the beginning of the month we had our ACI convention in Orlando Florida We had about 500 attendees, about half of what we normally would have, but what we thought was pretty solid numbers just based on still the lack of consistency with where the world is right now. And for us, it was a great opportunity because at our convention, it is a mix of the business meetings, the educational programs, the committee meetings. And we talked about everything from the state of the association and the industry to where we're at on you know Wall Street to Main Street, you know, what's the state of from the perspective of those in Wall Street to just kind of day-to-day consumers, where things are at, to some of the hot issues that our industry is working on, everything from sustainability to ingredient communications and more. And I don't think I appreciated how much I missed seeing everyone. And I actually saw some members, you know, they had tears in their eyes because two years is a long time. And Victoria, as you know, the chemical industry is like family. Yeah. And so being able to see each other was just fantastic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I've always found ACI in particular to be such a, every time the annual meeting happens, it's like, ah, oh, we're coming home. We're back together. And I missed it this year, unfortunately, hoping to be there next year. But it's, it's always a great event and a great time for the people across the industry to get together.
2: Yeah. So we, we were thrilled we were able to have it in person and we were really committed to that, I, I think virtual is fine for some things, but for that type of meeting, it just doesn't work well. And so we were just committed. We said, whomever's there, we're going to make it the absolute best event possible. And for those of you that missed it, I hope you realize, okay, I've got to be there next year.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Were there any surprises?
1: I mean, any big ahas? I know you guys covered a lot of topics, but any big ahas that came up during the meeting?
2: I think, I don't know if it's a big aha, but sometimes it's that feeling of you're not alone. Sometimes we've all been dealing with things. I just think that lack of predictability still with where we're at with COVID. So we had a lot of conversations about the future of work. You know, what does that really mean for our industry? And I think pre-COVID, we were probably an industry, it's, you know, five days a week in the office and seeing some of the executives kind of say, you know what? I think some of the learnings we've had from COVID where we can be more flexible, of course, in other cases, they're like their manufacturing facilities. We still need you there seven days a week type thing. So I think for me, just seeing some of the transitions and, and things that maybe five years ago we weren't talking about, we were. And the other big area for me was really about sustainability. I think every single session that we had, no matter what the topic was, it really became clear just how committed our industry is, really looking ahead to where we want to be 10, 20 years from now in the sustainability realm. And what we're going to do, not only as individual companies, but as that collective industry.
1: That's cool. All right. I'm going to hold that topic and let's maybe circle back to that later because I'm interested in that space. So you guys, ACI recently published a report on the economic impact of the cleaning industry, which is frankly pretty incredible. I mean, the people inside the industry know that, but everybody else maybe doesn't. So can you share a little bit about that economic impact?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we released a report just a few weeks ago. And it is, as you said, the kind of the economic impact of the U.S. cleaning products industry. And it's been a few years since we last did the report. And what I love about this report, that's a bit different than last time, kind of two things. One is we have the data not only for our industry, which is a almost $60 billion industry employing almost 67,000 people. That's a lot. It also looks, yeah, I know, right? And it looks at the direct and indirect impacts as well. So kind of up and down the value chain. And when you add those numbers together, we're talking about an industry that supports almost $200 billion in annual output and almost 700,000 jobs. So, I mean, real numbers, huge impact. And the other thing that's great about this report is we have specific data for all 50 states, which, again, is so important to be able to tell your story, whether you're talking to a congressman or just your local community to say, you know, here's the impact that we have where we live. And so we were really excited to be able to release that because at the end of the day, if you don't have good numbers, good data, you really can't tell your story as effectively as possible. So we have it not only for ACI's use, but also for all of our member companies as well.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. And in fact, um, $60 billion And what did you say, actually a $200 billion when you look at indirect impact?
2: Yep. When you look up and down the value chain, which is huge.
1: Yeah, it's significant. In fact, as I was thinking about this, I mean, What's interesting and maybe unique about ACI and its member companies is really that it touches everyone and everything, right? Both from a personal perspective, an industrial cleaning perspective, hospitals, grocery stores, what we have in our home. And I think, you know, it's something I think often the general public does not necessarily appreciate some of the benefits that the chemical industry brings. And I, you know, link then the cleaning products industry obviously to that because it's both producer, chemical producers as well as the actual cleaning product producers and stuff. It's amazing. It's pretty significant.
2: Yeah. And I think even, you know, especially as we've gone through the pandemic, people have realized, you know, as an industry, we're a lot more than just an ingredient in a bottle or a product in a shelf. I mean, we are an industry that positively impacts people's lives every single day. And what's been interesting to see too, because a question we often get asked is. Well, do you think some of the trends that happened in the early stages of COVID, you know, people washing their hands more, cleaning more, are those going to continue? And based on the survey data we've had, based on conversations with companies, a lot of those habits are absolutely remaining constant. And I think where we're seeing more of an increase, and you would know that we, you know, we both, I think, have traveled recently. So you see more people at the airports, you see more people getting out and about. And so that industrial institutional space, which maybe was a little quieter when people early in COVID weren't traveling or going to restaurants, that's really starting to see that uptick again, because things are slowly getting back to a more normal balance.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that's interesting because, you know, the changing landscape of COVID, obviously going from pandemic to endemic, I think there's a certain amount of fatigue on a personal level from both a cleaning perspective and a masking perspective. And yet I think the shifting behaviors of people getting out and about, going back to the office, going back to movie theaters, going back to restaurants has shifted the dynamic. Now, what's interesting too, every store I go into, and I personally, I don't go into stores very often anymore. So that's maybe one of my personal behaviors that's changed is I really rely a lot on curbside pickup. That maybe was a huge change in the for me personally. But like hand sanitizer is on huge discounts. So I think if we go back a year or two years ago where hand sanitizer was in short supply and everybody was trying to figure out how to make it, that's plateaued a bit. (laughs) I think we've certainly seen that.
2: Yeah, it has. And one of the things for us, I mean, as you know, as ACI, we are the organization that really oversees the hand sanitizer space. And so for us, it's everything from getting the Food and Drug Administration, the safety and effectiveness data they need. And also ensuring that consumers and customers have access to these products. One of the things that was big for us, and as you know, when the pandemic hit, a lot of different people suddenly were making hand sanitizers from distilleries to companies that maybe hadn't made it in the past. And so last year, you know, there was a glut in the marketplace. And there also was products that were out there that probably were not as safe as they needed to be. We saw the news stories. So last year, we went to the Food and Drug Administration and just said, hey, look, When you started, when the pandemic happened, there was temporary guidance to allow these newer entities to make hand sanitizers. That's not really needed anymore. And the FDA agreed with us. In the end of last year, they rescinded the temporary guidance, which, again, I think gets to you don't need as many players in the market. And then members like ours that were consistently in the marketplace from pre-pandemic onwards will continue doing the good work that they do.
1: Right. Yeah. And we need the guidance, right? It's okay to loosen the guidance at some point, but I think your point of bringing it back in and bringing it back to the standards that we need is critical. So I know one of the things when we talked last year, it was early days of the Biden administration. So now we're a full year in, are the pathways for engaging and influencing the administration clear? Are they favorable to ACI and its constituents? How do you see this playing out right now?
2: Yeah, I think for me, you know, even at the start of 2021, when we had new president, new faces on Capitol Hill, new faces at the regulatory agencies, something that's always so critical, as you know, is connections, right? So having relationships in place before you might ever need to call on them. And so last year was really important for us. Number one, just to really look at the landscape of who's out there, who do we need to know, especially like at the regulatory agencies, we deal a lot with EPA, FDA, and a few others. And so for us, we spent a lot of time in the first part of 2021 getting to know the new faces, number one, so they knew who we were as ACI, what we worked on, what we could provide and finding opportunities for engagement on, you know, what will they be honing in on with this new administration? So I think what I you know, appreciate is that everybody hit the ground running last year. And we have seen kind of those pathways for engaging and influencing the administration they've been clear. I mean, for us, it's like we've really been able to identify who you need to engage with on what topic and also realizing it's not a one and done thing. Like you can't just talk to them once and say, oh, okay, it's all been solved. It really is that ongoing connection. And that's been really helpful for us. And also to help our members as they're trying to get their arms around who do I need to talk to about what as an individual company, let alone as the broader industry.
1: Right. That makes sense. And in fact, I'd heard from some people who, especially. Folks that were trying to bring some new products into the industry, into maybe the cleaning industry, but even just kind of the chemical industry more broadly, that some of the regulatory approvals have been slower. Partly, I think, because of this turnover. Yes. At the administration.
2: Yeah, I think, and we've seen this at some of the agencies, and I'll focus on the Environmental Protection Agency because I know a lot of, you know, the companies we both deal with are heavily engaged there with new products getting approved. They have been significantly understaffed for quite a while. And I think, you know, again, we're all seeing about the great resignation and people really reflecting on where they want to work, but they've been really struggling to fill those open positions, which what they've done on a temporary basis is they've moved individuals from other entities within EPA to say, hey, we need you maybe in the chemicals office, but that's a short-term solution. And so really what they're trying to hone in is how do we get good people to come and work for the agencies? It's a challenge and not one that I've seen kind of a quick correction on.
1: Yeah, I think it's really hard. I mean, you touched on that earlier about, you know, what's the future of the workforce? It seems to be that there's such demand in the private sector that it's often hard for the public sector to compete. And I think it's also just this whole ways of working and where do you really want to be? It's not easy. It's not an easy path to navigate.
2: And I think all of us have kind of, you know, during the pandemic, you just reflect on things that maybe you hadn't been thinking about prior to, and it does impact perhaps some life choices that individuals are making.
1: I will tell you, I'll share a story. I was at a event this week. I'm uh, part of an executive women's group here in Houston. And we had an event that I had to be downtown at 7 a.m., dressed up, ready to go. And all I could say as I set my alarm for five and then got up at 5.15 and was fully showered and dressed, et cetera, by 6 a.m. is this is just uncivilized. This is completely (laughs) uncivilized. Who does this? And yet- I did it for decades, right? See, we talked about, me. Man- I worked in manufacturing early in my career. I mean, you had to be there early, right? That was yes. an early 7, yep. 7.30 start, whatever it was. And then when I worked in a corporate environment at Shell and at Clarion, I routinely had meetings that started at 7 a.m., like every day of the week. So, I mean, you had to be downtown and coffeeed by, you know, before 7 a.m. I was leaving the house at 5.36, maybe 5.00 to get downtown. I can't even imagine doing it right now. I mean, and I think that's part of this whole changing ways of working. I don't think people are reluctant to go back to the office. They're reluctant to commit that time to personal preparation and commuting to get to the office. That's part of the rethinking that people are doing.
2: Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I always think about my first job in industry and it was 45 miles each way to your point, got up, did it every single day. And then once I moved to Washington and worked for associations and it was a two-mile commute, albeit city living, but I'm thinking, oh man, that was a lot of time I got back every day, every week to do things that I wouldn't have had time to do before. And again, the pandemic's given us that opportunity as most folks were working from home to say, once you start adding it up, there's a lot you can do from the personal side of things that you don't want to give back.
1: Absolutely. So one of the things that's interesting to me with ACI is you really have a wide variety of customers. So how do you think about your customer groups and how do you balance that, the needs and the outreach and just the support you provide to each of these different groups?
2: Yeah. So from the membership side, as you had noted, I mean, we represent the full value chain and I would say, you know, the majority of our members probably fall into one of two camps, the ingredient suppliers. And then the other half are, as I say, the companies that make the products that are probably underneath your kitchen sink or in your laundry room or that you might be using when you're out at a restaurant. And you're absolutely right. I mean, there always is a whole host of different entities may want different things. I think for us, what has been so critical is when I joined ACI in 2017, I, right off, off the bat, I went to the board and I said, look, we are trying to do about 75 different things here. You know, we need more clarity about where we're really going to focus our efforts Where we might support somebody else who is better resourced to do it, or where we might just say, you know, project served us well, but it's time to cut it loose and say farewell. And so, what we do at ACI is we have an annual prioritization process that helps give us the clarity for the big picture for the year and how we want to budget and really resource things. And as you know, things emerge, something you hadn't realized three months ago was going to hit and how you adapt to that. And so, we've got kind of a process to figure out does that rise to the level of active engagement versus just saying, now we're not going to get involved. So that's been really important because we really need our members' feedback. You know, again, where do you think we need to be spending our time being able to consistently use this process? Because at the end of the day, you can't do everything. And you don't want somebody saying, well, you know, Melissa, you're the one who's made the decision. We're not going to do X. It's like, actually, we have a process. So here's how we figured it out. And that's really helped our members. They may not always love our answer, but understand here's why we're working on one area and maybe not something else.
1: Yeah, well, and you also do a lot of community outreach, like I think about your engagement with kind of education groups and stuff, right? So I mean, it's, you've got your member constituents, and then you've got, you know, the government and the regulatory constituents, and then also, I don't know, the general public or the educators and the other groups that you're trying to influence.
2: Yeah, and that for us has been another area of growth, I'd say during the pandemic. I mean, so you know, we always, we always had like our website and certain programs that we did, for example, one on hand-washing with school groups that we do with the Center for Disease Control, we realized there was a need for other focus areas for us. And so over the pandemic, we launched everything from our Healthy Returns program. So to help small businesses, they were reopening, really trying to figure out how do I keep my employees safe? How can I keep the customers coming here, knowing that we value health and safety to a project we did for childcare centers, so again, as they were reopening, we did a program also for college kids, because we know a lot of times it may be the first time they're doing laundry or cleaning on their own or have a sick roommate, you know, had, so it's all about kind of keeping it simple and straightforward and making it accessible for everyone.
1: My oldest daughter went to college this year and I actually took that college oh good back to college checklist about, you know, the different cleaning things. And, and I sent it to her and her roommates and some other friends. So I personally made use of that. That was awesome.
2: Thank you. Our class of clean was definitely a big hit. And then we joke because we've got a few folks in the office that also sent kids to college for the first time. And the joke was, that's part of the package you're sending them with, right? And so they were able to help kind of just continue to spread the word. And the other thing too, is also figuring out who can help amplify the message. So we make sure we connected, for example, with an entity that deals with all the university newspapers. So again, helping to spread the word about the tools and really figuring out ACI does a great job, but there's others that can help us amplify the message even more.
1: Yeah, that's a great approach. I like that. So let's talk about what your focus is for 2022 and beyond. You know, you guys are, we're at the beginning of the year. What's the agenda and what do you see as your priorities and your outlook?
2: Yeah, so everything we focus in on for us always comes into one of four categories. Business, so it's everything from the business to business activities like our convention to what we're doing with regulators or legislators. Science, which always has really been the heart of ACI as an organization. Sustainability and communications, I would say, you know, some key areas for us really continuing to engage with the different regulatory agencies. You know, they are not going to be slowing down. We know that EPA will be very busy, so again continuing to be front and center with them. Food and Drug Administration with all the hand sanitizer and topical antiseptics work. On Capitol Hill, our number one area we're really focusing in on ingredient communications. We know consumers want to know more information about what ingredients are in our products. What are they? How are they used? What's their purpose? And so, our focus this year, and it's part of a multi year plan, is to get federal ingredient communication legislation. Interesting. So, yeah. So, instead of 50 different states doing 50 different things, which ultimately causes consumer confusion, we really want to hone in on a federal approach. So, last year, we were laying the groundwork, you know, meetings with key offices on Capitol Hill, doing our research. So, we had the data. And really, the feedback we got is, Of course, people want more information and they're very supportive of a federal approach. So for us, that's going to be an area of focus is just working with Capitol Hill to to make that happen. And again, it probably is a three to five year process.
1: And is this about labeling or does it go beyond labeling?
2: So it ties to, I'll just say, making information available. And we realize on a label There's limited real estate with what you can really put on there. And knowing most people are more and more tech savvy that they're going to go to a website if they really want the information. So for us, it's about finding the most effective ways to communicate the information and also making sure it's consistent, right? So if they're buying a product from company A versus company B, the way you might be describing something, you want as much consistency as possible to help the consumer understand and reduce that confusion. Got it. So that, that will be a big area and then sustainability.
1: Yeah. And I would imagine the, the cleaning products companies that are you know, selling and marketing products would welcome a simplification, a, a single standard across the US to manage versus multiple standards.
2: Yes. And, and I would say, you know, our industry, it's probably been the last 10 years. I mean, it was 10 years ago that companies were saying, we want to be proactive, we want to provide more information. And so you started seeing companies really stepping up then. Then a few years back, the state of California put their own legislation in place. And again, it is a fear of one state does it. 49 other states do slightly different things, which really, I think, inspired us to talk as an industry about how we can move forward with this federal approach.
1: Makes sense. Makes sense. So let's talk sustainability. You mentioned this early, and we I know that this is one of your priorities as well this year. So what's going on in the land of sustainability for ACI?
2: Busy. Very busy. So for us, what I love about ACI is, so we've been involved in sustainability for over 16 years. So as an association, we were one of the earlier groups to get involved. And a few years back, we had a real heart-to-heart conversation about what does the future look like for sustainability, for our membership, for ACI. And the message we got is we need to have bold, collective action, really working together kind of across the cleaning products value chain So for us, the focus over the last year, and it continues into this year, has been in two areas. One is on climate. We know that, again, this continues to be a big area of interest for our membership. So last year, we activated the 1.5-degree climate challenge, getting companies to step up and commit to, say, practices that they're going to institute, the policies that they're going to put in place, will really focus on zero net global emissions by 2050. And I realize that's a long, you know, it seems like that's a long ways away But as ACI, you know, what we really focused in on is developing a roadmap with tools. How can we help companies get there? And then really trying to just continue to be supporting them, helping them with what they're trying to develop, whether they are, we'll say a leading company in the space, or maybe somebody who's trying to figure out how do I get started? So that's kind of been one of our areas. And the other is on packaging. Again, we just see a lot of activity.
1: Packaging is such a tricky space.
2: Yeah, it is. And I think what I've been really impressed by is just seeing companies do everything from new engineering designs to thinking about reuse, reduction, recycling. I mean, how can they incorporate more of that? And again, as our ambition here, it's by 2040 to have zero cleaning product packaging waste. Mm. So pretty ambitious.
1: That is ambitious.
2: Yeah. And so, again, focusing in on helping our members with a roadmap, again, steps to take along the journey, tools that we can provide, education that we can do. And I also think this is important as it ties to more of the legislative regulatory work, because you're starting to see more and more states getting very active, kind of on the coasts like New Jersey, New York, California, Washington. Again, we want to be a leader here versus having so many different states do so many different things.
1: Yeah. And I do think, I think this whole aspect of, Owning the narrative is really mm-hmm. critical and defining what you want it to be. Because if you don't define it, somebody's going to define it for you. And I think all too often across the chemical industry in the cleaning products as well, but I think the consumer companies, especially the consumer side of things, has been a bit more proactive. But we assume that people understand it. And it's like, well, it would make sense. I mean, why wouldn't, you know, and don't necessarily appreciate the fact that as an industry, we have to own the narrative. Mm-hmm and have to set some definitions about what's reasonable, how we go forward, what those standards are, and how we make it work. So I think it's great that you guys are leading this um, across the industry.
2: Yeah, and I think you also hit upon something that's so important is not only owning the narrative, but telling our story. I just think as an industry through the years, we might've been a a bit shy. You know, we do a lot of great things. And so we need to do more to really tell that story. And so ACI, of course, as the collective voice We're also trying to do more to tell like the individual case studies, you know, the great work that our members are doing, because again, we can help amplify that message, which is good for the collective. So people know this industry is really taking charge here. They're doing great things. Yeah,
1: absolutely. All right. So that leads me to how much work do you guys do on social media? Are you guys, do you have a TikTok channel? Are you out on Instagram? Have you guys, has ACI started to tackle where a lot of individuals are getting their information, which is not the boring worldwide web. It's the really exciting app-based stuff.
2: So the short answer is yes, yes, and yes. Awesome. So we are very actively involved in digital communications. A few years ago, we really took a look at where we were with our communications program and where we wanted to be. And one of the gaps we had identified is we really didn't have a, somebody here leading our digital social communications. So we brought in, we have a phenomenal individual who leads that for us. And yes, we are involved in Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. And as you know, I mean, you're involved in all of these because they are different audiences. You know, for us, Facebook might be reaching more of the consumers versus TikTok, I'll just say the up and coming generations that are just looking for the quick little fun videos. That's all they want.
1: That's where my kids get their news, their facts, their opinions, et cetera. So yeah, it's important.
2: Exactly. And then like LinkedIn is is more, you know, the kind of the business side of things. So for us, that's been so critical for just our overall communication strategy, because there's just been so much rapid growth over the last couple of years. And I always laugh, you know, I kind of think what new social media channel are they going to come up with this year oh, no. that you really have to evaluate and say, do I need to be here? Or am I going to be totally left behind?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great because that is, I think, again, not all the industry groups are doing this yet because they don't, feel like they have the bandwidth or that that's within their remit. And yet as an industry, we have to understand where people are getting their information and forming their opinions and be there and be there helping to create that message and sharing the value and influencing the influencers.
2: Yeah. And I think that you'd be spot on, on the influencers. Cause again, you know, that's one of the things we think about, are there individuals or entities we could or should be partnering with to really help amplify that message. Because again, it is hard to do it all by yourself. And a lot of the influencers have access to demographics that maybe, you you know, ACI might not on a typical day. So that's been a really important part of the strategy as well.
1: That's awesome. That's really great to hear. Well, you know, last year we talked about getting back to travel and I know you've had the opportunity to, at the very least, travel to Florida with the annual conference. How's this looking for this year? What do you see in the year ahead?
2: I'm excited to get back on the road. So for me, I've always been a big believer. You can't sit around Washington, D.C. and really feel like you've got a handle on what's going on in the industry. We did find fourth quarter of last year, some of our members were open again to having visitors and guests. So we have what's called our Member Connect program. So we get out there and it's great. I mean, it's opportunities to hear firsthand, what's keeping you up at night? What are the things that you you think we should be working on? Or what are some emerging areas that maybe three, five years down the road could hit us. And so it's really great to have those candid conversations. So we're definitely mapping out our, our game plan for this year. So I will be out on the road a lot with some of my colleagues. And I absolutely love it. I mean again I just love getting to meet with members, getting the plant tours, learning about their latest technology. So I think travel there is building the international side I still think might be a little bit slower, might be more the second half of the year. Yeah. However, I'm ready tell me you want to visit, we can make it happen.
1: (laughs) Awesome. That suitcase is ready to be packed and rolled. So that's awesome. Well, Melissa, this has been really great connecting again. I appreciate you joining us today on the chemical show and um, thanks for being part of it.
2: Well, thank you for having me. And just, again, I just continue to be so proud, not only of the cleaning products industry, but just the overall chemical industry for everything that they have done and continue to do just that knowing that they positively impact people's lives is something I'm so proud to be a part of.
1: Me too. Me too. So anyway, thank you. Thank you for joining us today on The Chemical Show. And thanks to all our listeners. Keep listening, keep sharing, and keep following The Chemical Show, and we will continue to grow.
2: Great. Thank you.
0: We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.